Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid, and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land.
Morning. Um, we're looking at so series on Jonah four sermons. Um, I'm going to cover this sermon's principally about Jonah chapter two, but I will um, cover parts of Jonah chapter one because we need that context to make some kind of sense of it. Um, the question, the question I want to start with this morning is, do you feel spiritually asleep? Do you feel spiritually asleep? Um, now, it's something I've reflected on because often I think I go through the motions of going to church and I feel, I have to move this, you know, I'm going to trip over it. So I've decided the stage is my own, I'm going to do what I want with it. Um, the, yeah, that, that feeling of feeling spiritually asleep, right? So you, get, you go to church on Sunday, you feel the enthusiasm of being with God's people, singing the songs, and you feel enthused. And then you go back to normal life and it feels just ordinary, right? Or just for me. And that feeling of forgetting to pray for my kids, forgetting to pray for my, you know, not praying myself, not reading my Bible, not thinking about God or giving him a second thought. And there's that thing, I think, of just, certainly for me, of bumbling along a bit half-heartedly in a Christian life, and it just all feels a bit staid. And I think the heart of that is that I spend a lot of time thinking about me and not a great deal of time thinking about God, right? Now, I was weighing up whether to do a show of hands or whether anyone relates to that. I'll probably spare you that, but... I imagine a number of you might feel the same. And I guess into that, you know, what, what, I, what I feel I want, and I guess if you feel the same, what you probably feel you want as well, is a, is a spiritual experience which is deeper, a love for the Lord Jesus which is richer and more real, something which will transform it from that feeling. And... In fact, we've got the clip. I've got someone on the screen. Now, usually when we show people on screen, it's dead easy to guess who they are. So it'd be a picture of Prince Charles or, or King Charles now. But it's not that. Well, I've got a picture of someone who I don't think anyone's heard of. Is there anyone here who knows who that is? We've got what? Tommy. Well done. In one. Do you know what, is, do you know what day he was born? 21st of October 1953, Keith Green was born. Um, I don't know, it's, 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 it's in my notes. Um, <laughs> Keith Green was an incredibly talented musician, right? So at the age of three, Keith Green was playing the ukulele. At the age of five, he was playing the guitar. And by the age of seven, he was playing the piano. And Keith Green was so talented that record labels started to sniff him out. And by the age of 12, He'd signed a contract with Decca Records, and they believed at that time that Keith Green was going to go, go and become the next big thing, the next child superstar. Um, but it didn't work out like that. Keith Green was, as is sometimes a way in life, a victim of bad timing, of circumstances not working out. And what happened was, around the time Keith Green was due to become a great child star, a guy called Donny Osmond, who the older among you may have heard, went on to become a global sensation. And Keith Green was left with a shadow of Donny Osmond casting over him. And his career never took off. Instead, 
In his teens, Keith Green was left depressed because, you know, he, he had the hopes that most of us don't have of achieving something great and then it's taken from him and he turns to drugs. But then something really significant happened to Keith Green. And at the age of 19, Keith Green became a Christian. And he started to channel his talents instead into writing Christian music, which some people here may have heard. Now, it didn't stop there, though, because actually it's a reasonably typical story, isn't it? For we, we know plenty of people who write Christian music, but what was different about Keith Green was what he did with the money he earned from the Christian music. What Keith Green did was he took his house and he started to invite people into the house. And these weren't people you'd necessarily want in your house, particularly. These were homeless people, drug addicts, prostitutes. The people whose society as a whole had forgotten about, they were the people he invited into his home. And that wasn't enough for Keith Green, because as he started to earn more money and become more successful, he started to buy other houses. And he started to put the... He, he saw more and more need in the neighbourhood he was at. And he started to invite more and more of these people into his homes. But then, age 28, Keith Green got on a plane. And that plane was a mission trip. It was due to be a mission trip, right? He was going to go somewhere foreign. I don't know where it was, but he was going to go somewhere foreign. Uh, I can remember his date of birth because I'm a mathematician. I don't know where the plane was going. But the plane took off, and it never landed, right? It crashed. And Keith Green died at the age of 28. And after his death, his wife, Melody, wrote a biography of him. And that biography was called No Compromise, The Keith Green Story. And doesn't, you know, when you hear a life like that, a story like that, doesn't that title just encapsulate how you think he lives? And I hear the story of Keith Green, and I think I'd quite like some of that. I'd quite like, rather than feeling spiritually asleep and feeling like there's only two days a week, or, you know, only Sunday where I feel spiritually alive, what would it be like instead if my Christian life was like that? And I have to be careful because I'm not saying imitate Keith Green, right? I don't, I don't know what his relationship with Christ was, none of us know. And... His circumstances and his gifts, certainly his musical gifts, are completely different to mine, right? So we're not doing a copy and paste. But there is something appealing about it, isn't there? What I want to talk about this morning in Jonah chapter 2 is that Jonah, Jonah in chapter 2, or in chapter 1, is spiritually asleep. So the spiritual sleeping, as I feel, Jonah has. But, but what we see is spiritual transformation for Jonah, and we see that in chapter 2, and we're going to go through both of those things, but before we do, I want to just show you the kind of the state of Jonah, so the three, let's go, here we go, yeah, that seems to work, right, so the three different, I keep rewriting my talks, so there's, there's no guarantee that these slides are going to bear any correlation to what I'm going to say, so we'll just, it's a surprise to me as much as it is to you. Um, so the first thing is that Jonah disobeys God. So if you remember back in chapter 1, um, God calls to Jonah and he says, go to Nineveh, Jonah goes to Tarshish, the opposite direction. And, and what's really interesting about that is Nineveh is an evil city. And 
Jonah didn't go. We find this out later, and we'll pick this up in later sermons. But Jonah didn't go because the people were evil, and he was worried. He was worried that they might repent and be spared of God's judgment. That was his concern. That was how disobedient Jonah was. And that's not what a prophet of God should be, is it? You look though, it's interesting, you can see you can see some really interesting language. So if you look at verse 3, it says this, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. And then if you look at verse 5, but Jonah had gone down into the inner part of a ship and had lain down. Now, the use of the word down there, it's more than just a physical or geographical direction. There's a a sense of Jonah disobeyed God, therefore he goes down. And by the time by the time we get to the end of verse 3, we can, see, we can see really clearly the spiritual consequences of that because it's got the phrase, Jonah, let me get this right, is going away from the presence of the Lord. You see, Jonah's intention isn't just to disobey God, it's to actually flee from his presence, to actually escape God himself. Secondly, so that's the first one, Jonah disobeys God. Secondly, a spiritual sleepiness which Jonah has. Now, we see that because in the middle of a storm, we see that Jonah's fast asleep. And you see the word, if you've got an ESV, it, it describes it as fast asleep. In the original language, it's actually deep sleep, similar to, if you think back to Genesis, when Eve, um, sorry, when, when Adam, God puts Adam into a deep sleep, right, takes a rib from him to create Eve. Um, it's that same, same language. And the idea is that Jonah, spiritually and, and physically, is in, this really, is in this really deep sleep. And there seems to be a consequence of that disobedience that I've just talked about leading to something spiritually sleep. And that spiritual sleepiness has led Jonah, and you see this through chapter 1, to a complete lack of regard for the people around him, whether it's a disregard for the Ninevites who... Need, um, who need repentance, who need the gospel preaching to them, or whether it's a disregard for um, the, the, the mariners. Jonah's deep spiritual sleep has led him to a point at which he doesn't care about anyone else, only himself. And thirdly, the third thing we see in Jonah's spiritual state is his prayerlessness. Now, to demonstrate, I've got a slightly unique way of demonstrating this. Um, oh, what's happened? Or have I gone the wrong way? Right. Does anyone, I mean, the younger the better, right? But can anyone tell me what they think that might be? Thomas? Your lounge! I don't think you bought my dad over here, please. Reuben, what do you think it is? It is, it's the inside of a fish. I'm going to just, I'm just going to quickly move it on. But... If, you, if you're inside that, right, it's absolutely disgusting, right? How many, how many seconds do you think you'd wait before you prayed to get out? Go on, Ethan. Minus three. Minus three, yeah. Yeah. Would it even be a whole second, right? It's absolutely awful. Um, Jonah waits 259,200 seconds, or three days, three nights, 
therefore be praise to God. That's the extent of his spiritual sleepiness. And Tommy, I'm going to recall a conversation with you. I'm not calling you up. I'm just going to recall a conversation. Because I said to Tommy, how can it be that Jonah could wait that long? How could he wait 259,200 minutes whilst he's in the heart of a ship, and heart of a, heart of a um, fish? And Tommy said, but isn't that just what it's like for all of us, right? That there's all these circumstances in our lives, and yet we don't, the last thing we do is pray. Have I, I've been accurately quoted you there, Tommy. Yeah. Uh, the so yeah to summarize we've got three I don't know what order this goes in just, right, yeah, three spiritual problems disobedience spiritual sleep, prayerlessness I'm going to work on future sermons I'll get a bit more of um, neat on the whole powerpoint piece but you'll have to bear with me for a minute um but I think, if it, look, they're, they're doing the spiritual problems right. We all come with our own spiritual problems this morning. So I've got my spiritual problems, and you will have your spiritual problems. And, you know, I, I was thinking about what is my spiritual problem. And I think when I think of sin and the way I battle with sin, it feels to me a bit like pop-up pirate. But like, I bash a sin down, or I think I have, and then another one pops up. And then often, actually, what happens is I bash one down, and it just pops back up again and just keeps popping up but it's it's never ending right and it feels like the progress is really really slow and I guess the question is why is that and the truth is my real spiritual problem probably well it, it, it isn't a sin right the sin sin's a symptom of a bigger spiritual problem and the biggest spiritual problem is that I love myself a huge amount and love God only a little bit and the heart of my sin, not necessarily the sins I always think about, but the heart of my sin is that I think of myself. I care of myself. I spend, if you, I mean, thankfully none of you can get in my head, but if you got in my head, what you would see is me, 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 me. What do I want to do? What do I want for tea? What do I want to do today? Hannah knows this, but... <laughs> you know, how many times do I think about God, what God wants. You know, my, 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 my mind, my heart, my life is not God-centric. I'm ashamed to say it, but it's true. I'm centred on myself. And that's the heart of sin, right? But coming to Jonah chapter 2 has helped me with some spiritual change. Because in the prayer which we read in Jonah chapter 2, there is, there is an answer. And it's not, I have to manage your expectations, it's not a transformation, right? So I, if you know, if, if anyone, you know, you all know me and you know I've not transformed enough that you noticed some great transformation, right? But it's a step. A little movement in the right direction. And it's that that I want to share with you this morning. So, if you cast, cast your eyes to Jonah chapter 2, let's just do a bit of text work on it. So, what we can see in Jonah chapter 2 is Jonah praying to God. But he's not praying as we usually pray. So if I think how I pray, I kneel, kneel on my bed and I, I, you know, my, my typical prayer would be, Dear Father, I'm sorry for things I've done wrong. Thank you that you love me, love me and list a few things I'm thankful for. Pray for a few other people and then I'll pray a few things for myself, right? And I'll say, please. And it's kind of that classic kind of way of praying. 
But Jonah's not praying like that because Jonah is facing death. And he's crying out of distress. If you look what he says, he says, I called out to the Lord, and out of my distress he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, which Sheol's a dark place right death, I cried, and you heard my voice. You know, Jonah's in that place where there's nothing left. He's at a point where he cries out to the Lord. And at this point, he's not praying in the way that necessarily you or I would recognize prayer. He's, he's undergoing a spiritual experience because he's crying out to God. He's got no options. I mean, look at the language of chapter 2. So it says, he's cast into the deep. The flood surrounded him. The waves and the billows are passing over him. The waters are closing in to take his life. The weeds are wrapping themselves around him, dragging him down. The bars are closing in on him. Now, I didn't really understand what this meant until a few months ago when, having been through, you know, I had a time of life for probably 18 months, really, and, you know, having particular difficulties with my job and some general circumstances in my life, I, I got to a point where I was out of answers and I cried out to God. What I cried out to God was, and it's hard to share it, but I'm going to share it. I cried out to God to say, I, I can't face these circumstances anymore. I've not got the strength for it. Either take these circumstances away from me or give me the strength them because I can't keep going like this I don't have any answers and it's that feeling of being overwhelmed right being overwhelmed by the problems the difficulties being overwhelmed by what you can't do rather than what you can do and being overwhelmed to the point at which all that's left is to pray to God And there's something about crying out to God rather than praying to God. And I just want to reflect on that a little bit because if you're going through difficult circumstances at the moment, and you know, most of us do from time to time, right? I want to ask the question, what, what is the spiritual value of going through those difficult circumstances. What's the, what's the spiritual value in struggling? Now, we're used to a think. Is anyone able to get me a water? Sorry, I feel like my throat's going, sorry. I know that's a bit unconventional. Thanks, Luke. Um, yeah, I think we're used to this idea of we're struggling, uh, but the value of the struggles is that we learn endurance through them, right? That's, that's, that's what we always say. It's always that idea of, like, you know, if you keep rubbing on your skin, it gets harder and harder, right? And that's true, but I want to talk this morning about something more than that. I want to talk about the idea that going through hardship and difficulty can bring us closer in our relationship to the Lord Jesus. You see, it's easy to pray, I think, 
that, you know, that God will take away the hard circumstances that we'll face. Thank you. But, yeah, or the hope, it's easy to pray, isn't it, that there's a hope that we'll learn something from the circumstances. But I want to ask a question. What if the circumstances in your life aren't actually there so that you learn something new? What if the difficulties are there to draw you instead into a deeper, richer relationship with Jesus? You see, what if there were an opportunity given to you from our Heavenly Father, like, look, he's in control of all things, right? So he's in control of you. Whether we like it or not, he's in control of the circumstances we've got. What if these circumstances are an opportunity to develop a deeper relationship with him? And in Jonah, whilst he was in the depths of the sea, whilst he was facing death, whilst he was in that awful fish, it was at that point that he cried out to God, before I studied this passage, I thought that the re- we, all, we all think of Jonah, right? The, the book of Jonah as being about a rescue, the rescue of Jonah. I thought the rescue of Jonah was being swallowed by the fish and then being vomited out on the dry land. But it's not, is it? The rescue of Jonah is inside the fish. It's when he prays to God and God gives him spiritual change as a result. It's, it's, it's in the middle of a hardship that Jonah is rescued. And it might be the same for us. It might be that success in our life is less about overcoming the circumstances that we face or changing them. And it might be that success in our life is about the relationship we gain with Jesus through those circumstances. And let me say this as simply as I can this morning. If you're going through hard times this morning, or at any time, cry out to God, depend on him. Keep praying. Don't just go through the motions when you pray. Think about how you feel. Take your emotions to God. Take your circumstances to him. And throw yourself on him in a way in which you haven't before. Now, in my notes, it says that I want to talk to you about what spiritual changes look like for me in 18 months. I think want is probably far too strong a word, but I think we should. So, look, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, repeat the, I wouldn't want to repeat the 18 months for, for various reasons, right? Um, but I have had a change. I, I describe it as a step. Not a step change, a step, right? So it's not a transformation. As I said before, anyone who knows me, they won't have seen a transformation, right? I'm still me. And I've not had, I've not had some great miracle, which means I find it easy to pray or I get revelations from the Bible every time I open up or that, my, or that the problems that we all face, you know, somehow I've got past. I haven't. But I think, I think God has changed my heart a little bit. I think I am, I have gained a slightly deeper love for him, a slightly deeper relationship with him. And I think we'll see in the next 
you know, over the, over the course of a few weeks, really, as we look at Jonah, we'll see that same thing going on with Jonah, where he's not transformed by the spiritual experience in chapter 2. So Jonah was a sinner before the prayer in chapter 2. And it's very clear from chapter 3 and chapter 4 that Jonah's still a sinner, right? And by the end of the book, it's actually really quite ambiguous as to just how much spiritual change has happened at all. But God, nonetheless, in his grace, and that's the situation we're all in, right? We don't know, we're all sinners, and we don't know how much spiritual change we'll have, but God, in his grace, reached out to Jonah. So I guess what I want to say is, if, if this morning you cry out to God, or you have cried out to God, and what you don't see is some dramatic spiritual change, don't be discouraged by that. Just keep depending on him as much as you can. I mean, one of the things I've observed in my Christian life is that you don't, for whatever reason, and I don't understand it, God doesn't tend to work in these huge dramatic events which kind of completely transform your life. What seems to happen is you learn this dependence on him over time and it just draws you slowly closer. And it's little bits at a time, right? And that seems to be what it is for Jonah. It's, you know, sadly in many ways that's what it's been for me. But there is a valid question to ask at this point, which you should all be thinking, which is, what is the, what is the guarantee, or what is, what, what is it that would give me any confidence that God would drive any kind of spiritual change in my life? And really, we, we, because we could ask that same question about Jonah, right? What was, why was it that God bothered to listen to Jonah's prayer? Because, you know, he, he was being a plunker, right? And... Why is it you would listen to us, right? Because we're plunkers too. And why would God even care about change? And the answer lies in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 12, where Jesus speaks about, in fact, let's, let's flip to it. Sorry, I'm not, I'm not going to prepped. If anyone can find a page number and shout it out, please do, because uh, it was seven, yep. Yeah, 817 um, verse, so if we look at chapter 12 on page 817, let's look at verse um, 40. So Jesus says this, for just as Jonah um, was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now we'll we'll come back actually to, to Matthew chapter 12 in future sermons because it makes a great deal, the, the, the rest of what Jesus says makes a great deal of sense of chapter 3 but the point's this right Jonah was in the fish for three days three nights Jesus was in the earth for three days and three nights but Jesus was risen to new life right and by being risen to new life Jesus gives us hope of being risen to new life because the new life which Jesus is risen to is an eternity in paradise with him, where the fears, the concerns, the circumstances which we've got are taken away, taken away by the power of the cross, taken away by the power of his new life. So therefore, whatever fears we have today, we're not just praying to God or crying to him, we're crying out to Jesus in confidence, knowing what he's done at the cross and the guarantee that that gives us. Now, as we close, this is my last paragraph, right? So, two minutes to go. Um, my spiritual experience, right, I think, hopefully I've been clear on this, it's not been like Keith Green's, right? 
It's, I've not been transformed. No one's going to dedicate a Wikipedia page to my spiritual achievements or invite me to talk at Word Alive or about some great thing I've done or anything like that. Um, but it's been a little bit change, right? It's been a, a step. A step of getting closer to Jesus through some hard circumstances. And as I close, you know, I guess it's that, isn't it? That, that, that process of crying out to Jesus, which has drawn me a little bit closer. And all I want to say is, I just pray for you all this morning that you might experience that same thing, that crying out to Jesus in the circumstances you're in and drawing just a little bit closer to him, gaining a little bit more love for him as a result. I'll pray to close. Dear Father, there are so many things we don't understand about your word. We don't know why you work the way you do. And as we look at the problems we face in our life, what we really want is a miraculous cure to them because they pain us and they're difficult. But we take comfort that actually one day there will be a miraculous cure to it. There'll be the miraculous cure to it in the Lord Jesus as he raises us to new life with you. And yet in the meantime, you leave us with the circumstances and the situations we've got and you ask us to trust you in them and to depend on you more and more each day. And I pray that just as we saw Jonah do that in a really imperfect way and in many ways make a right mess of it, we pray, Lord, that you'd help us to do it in our own imperfect way as we make a mess of it, Lord, but just to depend on you a little bit more. Amen.